0: uh, close out a race like that.
1: That was awesome. This is
0: the Team Blaney Podcast.
1: Welcome everyone back for another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me, as always, is co-host Steve Mez. If it's your first time listening, this podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been following the Blaney racing family for two decades and Team Blaney itself has been offering news, notes, and analysis on social media since 2014. So go ahead and pull those belts tight and hang on as we throw the green flag on our recap of Ryan Blaney's run in the Coke Zero Sugar 400 this past weekend at Daytona International Speedway. Steve, welcome back for this, another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. And I have to tell you the truth, I... Um, there, there's portions of this weekend where I wasn't really sure how this episode was going to go. Definitely a roller coaster weekend for the 12 team at Daytona International Speedway, which is my home track. So obviously, uh, my wife Tara and I were there in person. Uh, with our rain gear, which unfortunately has been all too common at that race, except for last year when the 12 went to victory lane and you were there because you brought the sunshine with you. Ah, But man, it was such a long weekend and uh, all the stages of grief and emotions and everything that could possibly go into this and the drama of, uh, of teams trying to make it into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs in such a crazy year with a brand new car that, you know, going into this week allowed for 15 winners. And then obviously the news we brought everybody with our special episode last week, where Kurt Busch had, uh, generously and in a, such a classy way withdrawn his medical waiver that opened up the possibility of two more spots into the playoffs. And boy, did that come to uh, be such a big thing this week? Uh, For everybody in the series and for, you know, a handful of drivers out there that were battling to to get into the playoffs. But anyway, I don't want to bury the lead here because we do have such possibly one of the biggest episodes of the podcast in its nearly two year history uh, because we have two very special guests. One, a returning guest, one, a brand new guest. That was such an integral part of what happened at this race this weekend. So on tap today, we have Raymond fox the third and if that name sounds familiar it's because uh he comes from some nascar royalty and he's the car chief for the number 12 ford mustang for team penske and ryan blaney and then our returning guest uh our favorite spotter in the series that's josh williams who is oh so gracious with his time and offers us some insights that we just can't get from anybody else so um in order to get to them we might do a you know a real uh fast forward version of our race recap and unfortunately we don't really have a lot of race to recap and that's why Uh, but we really want to get to those special guests because they give you such great insights and I was just talking to Steve about you know Raymond kind of gives us this this micro level on on what they had to do uh, to keep the car going and Josh gives us this macro level of insight on all the other moving parts that were going on with this race but the first thing I should probably do is uh, let you get a few words in here. (laughs)
2: Luckily I don't get paid by the word. So oh, I'm that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm salary, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, you do all the heavy lifting. I'm just the pretty face, you know, that's I'm, true. That's how it's care. in your contract. It's that's it. Be Yeah. Make sure I'm like shaved nice and pretty. And, uh, that's, I, that's all I can do.
1: <laughs> but like I said, why don't we know? Well, let's just jump in. Yeah, we'll we jump ha- right we in. talk, we talk so much about the race through the rest of this episode. We have all that time. Uh, let's just jump into our recap of uh, of this Coke Zero Sugar 400 that was one for the record books and one that I don't think any of us will ever forget.
2: Yeah, I uh, did a, you know, <clears throat> we did that podcast last week and talked about the numbers, you know, and that's all this recap is about the numbers. Um, the goal was 11 stage points, 11 more stage points than than the 19 car in the first two stages. And that's the way they were going to race, you know, You know, qualifying gets rained out. Saturday, you show up. It rains on Saturday. (laughs) Saturday gets canceled. 10 a.m. Sunday. All right. Uh, Ryan was starting 16th by the matrix from you know last week's finish, and uh, people asked about that. And they don't. It's it's uh, the previous week's finish, where you are in the standings, your fastest lap of the of the race before, and the owner's points standing. So there's like a combination of things that they do to figure it out. That's also how they figure out the practices, who practices in what group. It's they do that matrix and they put all the odd number in one practice group and they put all the even number in the other practice group. Once they've done that, so. Um, we've got the two, the 22, the 12, all pitting within a couple pit stalls of each other, which is great. Uh, stage breaks are going to be laps 35, 90, and 95, 160. Uh, fuel run about 40 laps and uh, seven sets of tires. Um, and it was one year ago to the day um, that Ryan won at Daytona when we were all there together. So um, <clears throat> everything looked great going in um, right away lap right off the bat there's radio issues
1: so yeah i i, I told uh, steve i don't normally always listen to the radio when i'm at the track i actually take time to uh just take in the, the mrn broadcast so i kind of know everything that's going on throughout the field uh but this time i did decide to cue into ryan's radio and that kind of made me nervous right away as ryan's coming on and you know saying like staticky i can't hear I can't hear. they're trying to get him to switch radios so uh first stumble of the day right out of the gate about eight or ten laps in and
2: Ryan's actually in sixteenth and the 19 is in seventh. This is not part of the game plan. This is not getting uh the stage points ahead of True X that you want. So um Ryan does shuffle in the lanes here and then kind of uh moves things around a little bit and gets into a better, better position. By lap 18, he's in the top lane and uh is almost in the top 10 at this point, and 19's in the bottom lane. And then you know that top lane was actually moving out further. So by uh, lap twenty-four, I got here. The nine is leading on the inside, the the 43 is on the outside, and Ryan is either fifth or sixth, depending on um, you know, where they push across the start finish line. And the 19 car is in ninth or tenth. So this is starting to look better. This is like, you know, if you can get four or five more points than than Truex, you know, that's all you really want to do in, that, in both
1: stages. So and yeah, they've kind of flipped things at this point. And as I always like to say, it's, it's kind of amazing. You know, Ryan's coming back from around the 16th position. It's always amazing kind of seeing him pick his way up through the field very carefully. And this hasn't changed from, you know, I was concerned going into this year, whether it would be different with the next gen car. And so far in all the speedway races this year, it hasn't, uh, nothing, uh, nothing has changed. Ryan is still one of the best speedway racers out there and he made his way up there pretty quickly, uh, after we were concerned at the, you know, what the positions were like to start off the race.
2: Yeah. So lap 27, um, the 43 is leading the 11 and Ryan's in third at this point. And this is perfect. You know, he's in third, the 19 is in 12th. So, you know, if they get to the next end of the stage and seven, eight more laps there, Perfect. We eight points over true X right off the bat. All you'd have to do is get a couple more stage points in the last, last second stage, you know, but, uh, lap 30, uh, 30, 31, um, things happen. And, um, uh, luckily, like I said, you're going to want to listen you know, uh, if you want to just skip ahead, skip ahead, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, both like, like, like Adam said earlier, both guys are going to give great explanations on what they did to fix this um josh gives you a little bit of explanation of what happened with the wreck itself um the 43 bobbling and causing a checkup and causing people to hit each other
1: um and ryan almost gets through this until i think it's the 20 that comes back up the track and clips him. and yeah and man it was just so unfortunate because it was one of those where it almost looked like he was going to be okay and just spin down to the inside but he takes a pretty big shot to the right front of this car Mm -hmm. and it eventually just comes limping back around the track with the fender missing and uh, Ryan's, you know, yelling on the radio that the wheel is 180 degrees in the wrong direction. And, um, you know, man, it, just like the, the exact thing that we didn't want to see happen when, when he was in such a good position, as you were just saying, you know, you know, less than 10 laps till the end of the stage in position to gain, you know, really crucial stage points over the 19, just like we wanted to. And um, immediately worst case scenario, and, uh, it wasn't the first worst case scenario of the day that they had to battle through.
2: Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, the four, the six, the 11, the 12, 20, the 43 the 45 are all in there on this. Um, you know, some getting more, more damage than others. Um, they go a lap or two down as they're fixing. Um, like I said, I'll let the guys, in, you know, in the interviews explain to you what they did to fix it and what they had to do to get off that clock. Because, uh, those are the two things that had to happen just to get back into the race. Um, stage ends with the 2022 winning the stage and the 19 ends up getting to fifth. So he gets the stage points here.
1: Um, yeah. So if you're clicking off the bad things that have happened, first one in the first crash, second thing, 19 earns pretty solid stage points in the first stage.
2: Yeah. So, um, the six and the 20 are out on this accident. Um, but they did get the, the, uh, They did get the damage fixed. They got off the repair clock. Uh, They're able to come in and pit again during the stage break. Um, And uh, they fixed, and they pitted two different times during the stage break to fix damage. Um, They restart at uh, lap 40, and I've got them in 34th at this point, um, the only car lap down. I was hoping that they would be able to hold on to the, the one lap down, but as the race goes on, they're they're damaged enough where they can't hold on to the pack just to stay on you know with the pack and then the pack comes around after eight or ten laps and gets them a couple of times so um so you know they're losing the draft the forty three was leading once again not a good scenario with the forty you know new you know another new winner leading um and uh <laughs> I've got written down here, no scanner noise since losing the draft. Um, something I didn't really, we didn't really talk with Josh or touch with him on, but there are moments of 10, 15 minutes at a time where you don't hear Josh. And in a plate race, that's so eerie for me. Um, but uh, there was nothing to spot,
0: you know. Yep, Yeah. His big
1: um, job came every time the pack was kind of coming around to catch the 12 car. Then he kind of has to navigate Ryan through all of that. Cause that's a pretty sketchy situation to get in. And he doesn't want to cause... Uh, a big crash on his own, uh, just by getting laps. So yeah, it's, it's tough and it makes the day very, very long for everybody involved at this point.
2: So we get, you know, as it's going here, lap 60, the 24 leads. And as you're watching the race at this point, that's what you're hoping for is repeat winners. Go ahead and have a repeat winner. If you get a repeat winner and then both Martin and, and, and Ryan both make it no matter what. So hopefully we're just repeat winner, repeat winner. Um, and, you know Ryan actually does ask about you know the stage points and so forth you know um at lap 65 it's 11 and the 22 leading in the front um at lap 71 he's three laps down in 34th so he's basically on his own lap at this point and really isn't going to gain any positions unless there's some attrition which becomes important later you know so think about this we're in 34th and where we end this race is almost 20 positions so
1: Yeah, it may seem like kind of useless. People might think, why didn't they just park this car? He can't keep up. Um, But staying out on the track is their mission. Trying to gain as many possible positions as they can is their mission the rest of the day. Uh, So they weren't done fighting. Every time they could pit, they came in and fixed the damage as much as possible. And as the race goes on, there are some opportunities at restarts where he can hang in the draft a little bit longer than before as they keep working on the car um some opportunities where he's had to draft with some other guys that also had some issues too to keep them up with the pack a little bit more so while it may seem like you know there's not a lot to spot uh not a lot to do so much was still on the line uh just staying out there and keep running their race Mm -hmm. they um at lap
2: uh 81 they actually pit and what's interesting here is this is uh, where they actually do a really good work on the hood um if you had the nascar app and you had it open he had an in-car camera this weekend and you know that camera view from the top of the car you could see the right front of that hood just flopping like crazy and it was thinking man that thing just if something works its way loose all of a sudden it's just going to flop right up onto the windshield and it never did uh, but at lap 180, uh, at lap 81 is where they actually fixed it well enough where it wasn't flapping anymore. Uh, the eight took the lead at that point, lap 85. Um, as we're going to discuss later with Josh, he actually starts drafting with the 45 car. Who's a couple laps down. Um, the 45 car was running in 33rd. Um, you know, they do get blapped by the pack again. Um, the lap 95, the 18 wins the stage. And, uh, Martin was, I believe
1: fourth, I, I think he different- may have ended up actually second in second? this in the okay, last lap. So- and if you were yeah. to listen to Radioactive this week uh, on Race Hub, there's mm-hmm. actually some radio traffic where Denny Hamlin says, you know, tell the tell the 19 that I'll give him the spot at the line and they show the the replay of it and he backs off and that's actually what gives the 19 even another spot. Yeah. So again, checking off the bad things. <laughs> mm-hmm. One more time, here's another one. Yeah. Huge stage points for the 19 in stage two. Okay,
2: so yeah, so you know, as we're going off into stage three for the end of this race, um, Martin has to finish 10 positions ahead of Ryan. If it's nine and they're tied, Ryan gets the tiebreaker. But if it's 10 Martin, you know, would get the position. And as long as there's, you know, and if there's a new winner, if there's no new winner then it doesn't matter. They're both in so at this point, Ryan is, like I said, in 34th, and, and this is interesting. It's five laps down at this point, and I think he only loses another lap maybe two the rest of the race, which is pretty good. It means they put enough speed in the car where they hold on the pack a little bit longer. Um, like I guess they do do some drafting, uh, dual tandem drafting here and there when they can with the 45. Um, they do some more work on the car on this you know, this uh, stage break. Um Thirty-four makes some sort of strategy gamble, and he leads them off pit road. Uh, there's at this point there's thirty-two cars on the lead lap, um, which is you know going to change also <laughs> as we go. That um, restarts at lap one hundred. Uh, the twenty-two and the two take the lead off of the thirty-four. <laughs> you know, no offense to the thirty-four, but it's not you know he's not going to do everything that uh, he did uh, two years ago. They they're aware of him now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's he's not going to sneak in there. Um, Then the 19 is in a crash on the backstretch here. And this is something that changes the 19's day too. And a lot of people want to be critical of the 19, but the 19 did have to finish 10 spots in front of Ryan. So you still have to race and you still have to race with the pack. And if you lose the pack and then you lose the draft and you lose a lap. And the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're in, let's say 30th, well, guess what? You're not going to gain the 10, 10 positions you needed anymore. So he still had to race with everybody, even though people were critical about why he was up there.
1: Well, he, he himself was honestly even critical immediately, which I mean, it's, it's quick to, to be frustrated when you're in a crash right away in such a high stress position. But yeah, he said himself true X on the radio, you know, we should have never even been up there, but his crew chief kind of, you know, kind of shot that down a little bit. And, uh, but it was, it was so, interesting or it's just so weird because the 19 limps around uh after this crash and the damage looks almost identical to the 12 but the difference is here uh the 19's damage comes from kind of bouncing off some other cars and he actually still had the front of the fender on the car which maybe helps aerodynamics a little bit more because he's able to hang with the lead draft or with the you know the pack for the most of the rest of this race Mm -hmm. uh but he could not race up front at all um, so th- the damage was more cosmetic and, and, aerodynamic in his case, and a little bit less in the mechanical side that the 12 team had to repair.
2: Yeah. So, um, in this wreck the nine, the 34, the one, the seven, the eight, the 17, the 19, the 24, 34. So, um, a couple of them we gain here because Ryan's up to 31st after all this and, um, the 19s and 26th uh, he's the last car in the lead lap, fixing his damage, but right there at that point, Ryan would be ahead of him in the points. So, you know, like I said, he still has to race up there a little bit, uh, the restart lap one Oh eight, um, the eight and the 22 are leading the race, which is fine with us. Um, the 22 takes the lead a couple laps later, once again, Ryan loses that draft. Um, but still the 19 is in 26. Um, so like I said, this is all going fine. You know, as long as we don't have a New winner, you got a repeat winner and everything. Um, and it goes single file for a little while. You know, lap 117, top 15 cars, you know, pull a lane out there. Um, and he gained another spot at that point. Somebody else had dropped out, he was up to 30th, six laps down. And once again, like I said, the 19 was in 25th and the 48 was leading, so everything was looking better. Not super, not great, but better. Um, at lap 125, we get a caution. Um, for the 14, three, the 47, the 48, the 21, the 23, the 41, 38, <laughs> um, Ryan's in the 30th at this point, And, uh, the 31 stays out taking the lead <laughs> and we restart, um, and the 43 is up there and the, this, the 43 takes out the, the 22 here, Ryan's up to 29 Martins in 14th at this point.
1: I was a little frustrated here. This is a point when um, even the caution before were the rain uh, clouds and rainstorms. We could see them off the back stretch over toward the beach, over out away from turns one and two, which eventually will get there. And um, we just didn't need these cautions. And then, yeah, you see Joey in the 43 wreck. And then Joey has trouble. He actually comes to a stop in front of our section of the grandstand where we were sitting uh, because of the, the flat tires and steering issues that he was having. So it just prolonged nothing he could do, but it just prolonged that caution. I'm like, man, I think I even sent you a message. Like we need to get this thing going. It's going to rain yeah. uh, soon.
2: Um, There's a restart lap 134 here and the 10 and 31 are leading the restart, but a couple laps later, the 99 takes the lead. So, okay. We're okay with the 99. Um, but then at lap 138, it's the craziest if you pull up the video just insane cars just every direction nobody really like hit anybody to make anybody go in all these directions it's just they hit it's like like you when you see black ice on the highway all of a sudden you know people just scatter and they have no control over the car um and that whole rain you know happens and the three takes the lead on this and um like i said ryan was up to 29th but martin's actually up to seventh at this point yes so everything here at this point is horrible. We've got a new what would be a new winter, we've got a rain delay, and we're 2X is, yeah. is ahead in points. 2X is ahead in points by more than enough. And um
1: complete nightmare scenario. And um it did not look good. Uh it was, you know, the skies were dark. Um as soon as they crashed, so there was no rain in the grandstands, but as soon as they crashed and like the dust settled, it just began to pour in the radio call. Uh, by jeff Striegel of mrn if anyone was listening to that which is kind of amazing because they were calling the crash off of turns one and two and then he just comes on and says and now it is raining on the front stretch and it was uh some big raindrops and i knew this was going to be a long thing and it's just like i was like man i mean if we were, we're talking about again bad things that happened um a race ending under this scenario mm-hmm. with a new winner out front Behind in the points. And if man, and I'm just sitting there so down thinking NASCAR is going to call this race because we're already into day two of this. But yeah, I think it would have been incredibly controversial if they didn't even try to get this race going again uh, because there was some controversy. Um, people on Twitter, and I don't know if it was talked about on the radio or TV broadcast at all, but the, the, there was some talk about the four car actually being in the lead at the time of caution, which was true. But the four didn't make it through the accident and ended up DNFing. So I think that argument kind of went out the window, even though that gave me a glimmer of hope at one point, because the four would have been a repeat winner. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously all the thing people say about Austin Dillon, I just, wasn't looking forward to hearing about that going forward about how they, they gave him the race because he has a TV show or because his grandpa paid off NASCAR or like, I'm just all those scenarios going through my head beyond just the fact that there's a really good chance that this is the end of the end of the, not the end of the season for the 12 car, but at least the end of the, the playoff run. So um, I don't know. I couldn't have been any lower than at that moment, Steve. And uh, that's when I said at the top of this show, I was really not sure how I was going to even be able to get behind the mic this week. If that's how things ended. Here was the interesting thing
2: that somebody brought up and that's like, if they continued, we had Involved in the wreck were the 99, the 11, the 31, the four, the 21, the 47, the 16, the 10, the eight, the nine, 42, 17, 18, 43, 48, among others, (laughs) I have written, and we weren't sure of at that point was how many of them were going to continue. And um, sure enough, after three and a half hours, when they come back, only 14 cars were on the lead lap yep and um they come out like i said ryan was 29th at the time and the 19 was 7th with three leading but uh, they come back in lap 142 and pit fixing the damage 10 cars at that point 10 cars were on the lead lap um they restart lap 144 um and Ryan's up to 22nd all of a sudden. So he yeah. gained seven spots just on some of the cars that dropped out. And then here's the fun part. <laughs> you know how you usually give me a pass this guy, pass yeah. that guy, pass this yep. guy. Well, yeah, it kind of happens like this with cars dropping out instead. Um, lap 145 up to 20th, 146, 19th, 147, 18th, 149, 17th. Okay. And Truix is in six at this point. So a bunch of these cars are dropping out from their damage that they had, and they can't couldn't continue. Lap one fifty three, the forty three is out. He's up to sixteenth, and the nineteen car is up to sixth. So all of a sudden, he's only one spot away from clinching here. Um, lap one fifty four, the forty one car has issues. Yep. gets off. He gets off the track. Luckily, so we're up to fifteenth now. So from the time he was in the original accident, thirty fourth, thirty fourth. He's now 15th by staying out figuring out how to fix the car, keeping it running, keeping it moving, six or seven laps down, but it doesn't matter at this point. It's all those positions that you know he gained over everybody else who couldn't continue. And lap 157 to3 has taking the lead now, but Ryan is within the points now. and sure enough, in that last lap, Ryan finishes 15th, the three wins, but the 19 couldn't keep up. And he finished eighth, putting Ryan in by three
1: points. Yeah. It was just incredible to follow along as this was going, um, seeing each of those cars, the 41, the 42, the 43, uh, among others dropping out and then watching the Truex, X, which I know it had to have been a helpless feeling for him just falling back through the pack because of the damage he had. He couldn't even keep up with the cars that were there, um, Joey in the back of the field uh, was doing us some favors, just in not you know doing his best to push everybody he could aside from the nineteen. Um, and then Truex made a valiant effort at the at the checkered flag. You know he went three wide and just nearly almost picked up a couple of positions, but I think he still would have fallen one position short. So here we are uh the 12 car sneaks in to the playoffs in the third position in the regular season standings it's crazy to say that they sneak into the playoffs when they're third in the standings and fourth or fifth in the standings their truex uh Mm -hmm. falls out and we do end the regular season with 16 different winners in the cup series something people said would never happen Um, but Ryan does get in in the 16th position because of the aforementioned uh, waiver uh, being waived by Kurt Bush. So Ryan enters the playoffs this year as the only winless team, uh, but one of the most consistent teams in the Cup Series and uh, clean slate and looking forward to see what they can do going forward. So I think we've made it through our recap and I don't want to uh, waste any more time because I'm really excited about the guests that we have coming up again. Uh, and why don't we jump to that right now and uh, talk to somebody that was really important in uh, keeping this 12 car on track this week after they received the damage that they did in that early accident and talking a little bit more about who exactly it is that goes over the wall and, and repairs the damage, who's involved, and uh, gives us some insight on what was damaged and just how they are able to make those repairs quickly. Uh, so I think we'll just jump right into that, and uh, we'll introduce this member of Team Penske and the number 12 team, and that's Raymond Fox the Third, the car chief for the number 12. And Ray, as I said, really excited to welcome you to the show.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: So if anyone uh, out there that's been a long time NASCAR fan, they've heard the name Raymond Fox. Um, that, that name is, I don't know, almost synonymous with NASCAR, especially the, the early days. Your grandfather was a legend, um, which yeah. I'm sure plenty of people have already told you that. Um, obviously, your dad, too, worked for Robert Yates, and that kind of opened the door for you to work there as well. And um, from what I understand, you, you got into this industry right out of high school.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, So going back to my dad, he worked for Robert for 10 or so years. And then uh, I worked there just cleaning the shop. Uh, My toolbox was in the bathroom for the first (laughs) two years that I worked there. So I'd get out of school and go to work at Roberts. And then uh, when my dad passed away, um, I had the chance of either being in the motor room or working on the car part. Um, So I chose the car part at that time and uh, worked underneath Jake Elder. And uh, that's how I got started.
1: Yeah. So you've mentioned Jake Elder already. So yeah, you've been lucky enough and you're more than three decades in the sport to work for the likes of Robert Yates. And with Jake Elder, Larry McReynolds, who I understand was a huge mentor for you. Now you're working for the, the captain Roger Penske, Um, A lot of influential people that you've been able to, to work around.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. A lot of big name people. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been a good experience for, for me. I mean, I've been on the road for 34 years. Uh, This is my 34th year on the road. And uh, yeah, I've been around a lot of great people.
1: So, I want to talk a little bit about the role of a car chief and, you know, Steve and I were discussing before we brought you on. um, Not a lot of people are really familiar with what that entails and what kind of what you're in charge of. Um, So can you kind of give us just a crash course on on kind of your week and and race day obligations?
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, started the shop. uh, We basically, or I make sure that all the stuff that, the crew chief wants in the car gets in the car and set up right and uh scale it get all the numbers and all that and then uh at the racetrack these days um you know we just orchestrate changes that we're going to do on pit road because we only get like 15 minutes of practice and then we go straight into qualifying so it's a little bit of high speed you know doing stuff but uh I, i mean that's my job it's making sure that everything for the weekend's in place to run smooth.
2: I would say the, the wife asked me this question. It's really kind of a weird one. She wanted to know when we hear car chief, a lot of times we hear it because the car chief got ejected <laughs> yeah. because of qualifying issues. <laughs> she she yeah. wanted to know, when, when they eject you, where the heck do you go? You go back to the <laughs> well, hotel.
0: What do you do? Uh, yeah. You go back to the hotel. Uh, me, I, uh, I, I'm the bus, I take the guys back and forth to the racetrack, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, unfortunately been kicked out a few times, so <laughs> it's just part of the game now. It's nothing new. It's nothing bad. Um, it's just things that happen.
2: During, during the week. Um, cause of what we saw this past Sunday during the week, do you spend time working on how to fix these issues? Um, in a timely manner uh, knowing that you're going might anticipate seeing them down the line
0: uh yeah i we talk about it um every wreck is going to be different every situation is going to be different you almost have to go through it once and then say oh okay we can do this better or we can do that better we can do that a little bit quicker um when to do things and when not to do things.
2: This, uh, new car, um, is it a lot different from the old car as far as doing those type of things? I mean, I heard the, I've heard the car is more rigid and, and, you know, it takes, you know, maybe the damage is going to be a little bit different when it hits.
0: Uh, yeah. The biggest thing on these cars is just, uh, it takes longer to do something than the old car. Uh, the old car, you could change a shock pretty quick. These take a little bit longer. Um, it's just different components and you have to work on them a little bit different.
1: So, so obviously we brought you on to talk about the, the crash that did happen this past week at the Coke zero sugar for 400 at Daytona uh, lap 31. You know, I was in the stands and we, we were there for the two days and managed to stay relatively dry, which uh, unfortunately you guys might not have, uh, but yeah. lap 31, Ryan's involved in a, in a crash that kind of happened when cars in front of him got stacked up a little bit and then came back up the track and, and took him out. He took some pretty big hits there. And, um, you know, we could see it on the jumbotron They're They're zooming in on, on the damage as he's, you know, trying to his best to get back around the track, what's going through your mind there. And are you trying to, to get as many video angles as you can, as he's coming in, or are you already down off the box or, or for wherever you're at already kind of rallying the, the crew that's going to go over the wall and assess the damage?
0: Yeah, no, I I mean, honestly, I thought we were done Um, because he hit the wall with the right front pretty hard. Um, Thankfully, it was at an angle to where it didn't fully contact the right front wheel. Um, It's sort of like the front part of the wheel, which it bent the wheel around the caliper. Um, You you can look at pictures, but you can't get them quick enough. So uh, it's just – what you see when it comes down pit road and you go over the wall and you look at it.
1: Now the guys that go over the wall to, to repair the car are any of them actually members of the pit crew, or is it kind of a whole different set of guys that are doing that? And has that changed from years
0: past? Uh, No, it's, uh, pretty much the road crew, which our road crew is myself, uh, Brett and Daniel and, uh, mule, which Dave Nichols, uh, we're the ones that would go over and repair that type stuff.
1: So when you got over the wall this week, what did you, what did you see and what was kind of the first thing you guys needed to tackle immediately to at least get them going before the the clock ran out?
0: Yeah. With these new cars, they, uh, instead of a, a tie rod, they would call them a toe link now, which that is probably one of the first things that's going to bend and, um, we wanted to get our eyes on that, make sure that that was still straight, which it wasn't. So we changed it, which that was the first time we had experience of changing that, um, which I thought went really well. Um, I don't know that there's very many people that's changed it in on the six minute clock. Um, they've changed some rear toe links, but the fronts a little bit, we got lucky really. Um, it all worked out and, uh, yeah, I was, I was happy with the way everything went.
2: I heard on the radio, Ryan say something about the steering wheel was 180 degrees. Yeah. Okay. So what, what, what actually happened there and what kind of thing can be done to fix that if possible? Well,
0: <clears throat> uh, change the toe link. Cause it was bent. It was pretty much at a L. Um, okay. You know, those things are straight and that's what turns the wheels with the steering rack and uh it's tied to the steering rack and the tie rods tied to the rack which back in the old age you call them a spindle Mm -hmm. and that's what turns the wheels so when he said it was 180 degrees opposite way is because the right front toe leak was bent so it had the wheel towed in and for him to drive it straight he would have to turn the wheel that much to get the left front straight if that makes sense yeah
1: yeah now one difference uh maybe in this new car than from others um the pretty much the right front uh the quarter panel there or the fender was gone like it just it just basically blows off does that make damage repair actually any easier i know it's not good for aerodynamics but you didn't have to bring a sawzall out or anything to to cut away any of the fender uh
0: no we had to cut a little bit of the nose away but yeah we had a lot of room to work because there was no (laughs) We didn't have to go under a fender or anything, but um, NASCAR doesn't let you. If you have the original piece, you can put that back on, but we didn't have the original piece, so we couldn't do that.
1: So I'm listening to the radio at the track, and I think Steve was uh, from home as well, and you're getting a countdown, um, you know, you have two minutes left. There's a minute left. You're under a minute. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just standing there in the stands, you know, watching the pit box, and I'm like sweating. Uh, what's it like for you guys? And are are you hearing those numbers? I mean, some of you have to pay attention, obviously, because you got to get off. But like, is that you know, is your heart rate elevated? Or is that <laughs> how does that play uh, into trying to fix damage like that under this clock? Cause it man? It's just so you have to do it so fast.
0: Yeah, it is quick, and uh, yeah, I you hear it, but um. I'm paying attention to it a little bit. I I hear him, but um, we're focused on what we got to do to get it done as quick as we can.
2: Now that happens during that time period. And and you do end up back on, you know, getting, you know, getting on off the clock. Um, But you guys actually do come back out a couple different times in the next couple pit stops, correct? And, and, And do more fixing?
0: Oh, yeah, we worked on it all day. Every time we pitted, we added more bear bond, and tried to early in the race, we had to go out and get our, our, uh, lap time. Yep. So we could get off the DVP. So we didn't quite have enough time to tie the hood down. And I really thought it was going to blow off, but, and then we just spent the rest of the time, every pit stop we made, every chance we had, we just put more bear bond on it, tie down the hood and try to make it as aerodynamic as we could
1: the the car definitely evolved throughout the day Um, yeah because yeah especially very early on yeah when ryan was actually able to keep up in the draft um yeah that hood was flapping like crazy the i think the radio broadcast at one point it said um they've asked the team to come up with a plan on how to fix that going forward which i mean i'm sure you guys already were aware of that because it's not you know ryan i think was even mentioning the fact that it was you know vibrating flapping around so Uh, but yeah by the end of that it looked like it almost looked like a car that's repaired at bristol or something like that yeah to keep going so yeah um, hopefully you don't have to put that to work in a couple of weeks though
0: yeah i'm i'm good with not doing it anymore
1: (laughs) (laughs) um can you talk a little bit about um so all of this is going on and i'm your your work was really key to keeping the team in the playoff race because you know truex um, you know, pretty much everything that could go wrong in this race went wrong. Between the damage being in the accident, Turex finishing toward the front in both stages, um, the only thing that really went your way was when he gets caught up in a, in a couple of accidents throughout the day with very similar damage. Though he didn't hit a yeah. you know hit the wall as hard as you guys did. Um, yeah. What's the What's the emotions like? Plus, you know, a three hour, three and a half hour rain delay, um, yeah. where you're you're out of the playoffs at that point. Um, did the, you know, was, is Jonathan trying to keep everyone's spirits up or were you guys, you probably went through all the stages of grief uh, d- during that whole period, I would have to assume.
0: Yeah, the, uh, I didn't see any points, didn't know that we were at 12 points out. I, I didn't pay attention to it. Our, our guys were just focused on just never quitting, you know, keeping it rolling and uh, staying on the racetrack. And uh, I mean, hopefully that pays off, which it did. But the really big break that we got is whenever the, I think it was the very last caution, whenever uh, Denny and all those, it took out a lot of cars, which that helped us. And then I got on the pit box and was looking and we went from 12 behind to three behind. And, you know, and then all of a sudden it went to three above and, yeah, that was if I was watching that the whole race, I wouldn't wouldn't have been able to make it. It's too nerve-wracking. And because it, it's a big deal. You want to make that. You you want to be in the playoffs because you potentially can win a championship if you go to the final four.
1: Yeah. I mean, you guys have hung around. I mean, it was it was I mean, this has been the talk of, you know, the media and, and you know, the radio shows and everything for weeks now that you know a team that's hovered around second third in points, you know, was battling Chase Elliott for the regular season title could be the first team in in the playoff era to actually miss, you know, being that high up. And yeah, I I can't imagine what it was like for you guys, you know, just thinking of what it was like for, for Steve and I following the last, the last couple of weeks. Um, so you have a lot of playoff experience. Um, you actually, and it was a big deal for you, you know, 30 plus years in the sport in 2018. Uh, you're with, uh, Todd Gordon and Joey Logano on the 22 team. And you guys were able to, uh, and that was the big three year too, right? So it turned into yeah. the big three and me with Joey, you guys were able yeah. to break through and win a cup series championship after, you know, all those years working for Yates and I think Petty and JTG, and I think you better stop at Roush too, uh, along the way and then at Penske, what was it like for all, you know, your career? And you're not over, you're not done yet, but it, you know, culminating in this championship that you got.
0: Oh uh, yeah. I, I mean, it was big for me because uh, we should have won so many at Roberts, but you know, we ended up finishing second, you know, missing it by a couple points. Um, you know, Ernie got hurt that year was our year. Cause we were 200 and some points ahead. And, uh, yeah. It's just to have everything goes, go right. And uh, yeah, it was a big moment.
1: You're so, like I said, you've been through that before you've seen what it takes to win a championship. What's it going to take for this team? I think for me, it seems like the, you got a clean slate now, you know, everyone's yeah. been talking about, you haven't won yet, but there's still 10 races to go where you can pick up those wins. You could pick up multiple wins and find yourself in Phoenix. You know, what do you, what do you think it's going to take for this team to to get to the next level this year?
0: Oh, well, I mean, if you look back at the beginning of the year, we we really run good. And and we have run good. We've had fast cars. Um, I, I mean, my biggest thing is is that you don't change what's got you there. You know, you got to have a little bit of luck. Ryan's plenty good. He's fast everywhere we go. And, uh, you know, I, I think once you start uh, panicking about, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, I think bigger problems come. I think if you do what you did when you got there and you worked on what you're working on to make it better, you know, you can get there and you can do it.
1: Now you have three Penske cars in the playoffs this year. Um, sometimes that that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's just two or one. Um, we always think they, when only one or two make it, they can move resources around. But in this case, it's probably, you know, the full effort of the company has to be behind all three cars going into this.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. And it's, I, I think that, I don't know if that changes the dynamic at all. Um, but I mean, at the, at the shop, uh, especially, is it still, are, are the three teams kind of siloed or does everybody kind of work together?
0: No, uh, we're really big on, everybody working together to accomplish the same goal
1: yeah and i think you see that out of the drivers too i know ryan was you know pretty devastated not winning the daytona 500 but um he definitely mentioned the fact that you know the drivers try to work together too especially when it comes to the super speedway races um and we saw a little bit of that sunday it looked like uh, joey toward the end of that race was doing his best to uh, maybe make sure uh, martin wasn't getting some pushes that he needed to to gain positions and it looked like austin at points was Hanging back and trying to help Ryan, you know, just kind of keep up with the draft when he could. So um, it does seem like it's kind of a Penske motto, or it's the mission that you know, company first, and then hopefully the the championship and the races are all settled just amongst the the three drivers.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean we're all family. We we work together. Um, I, I like it that way. The the more heads or people that you have involved you know, the more pieces of the puzzle you can put together and just make the whole organization better.
2: Um, no, you go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask, what was everybody's, everybody's name again? I wanted you to give everybody credit on your, on your crew. Uh, Dave, Dave Nichols, we've met before, uh, yeah, Dave Nichols,
0: uh, Daniel Lynch, Daniel uh, Lynch. and, uh, Brett McCutcheon.
2: Yeah, because they need um, – I just want to make sure they get credit for everything they did on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I,
0: I didn't I, – it, it was a group deal. I, I didn't do any of this by myself. And, uh, it, you know, if, if you didn't have those people behind you, uh, you know, you can't do it by yourself. And I give those guys all the credit.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, change, I've, you know, I work, work with a company that does mechanical work and to change something that quickly and do some of the things that they, that they did as quickly as they did them uh, is just amazing to
1: me that I can't you yeah. know, fathom, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we've got really good people.
1: Um, one last thing, just on the, on the next gen card, just since it's been such a huge change. Um, do you think that that has that affected your goals or your job or do you miss anything or miss any uh anything from the old car that you're able to do or have you guys kind of pretty much embraced the challenge of this car going forward
0: no i, I mean we've totally embraced it um cuz it's not going anywhere yep <laughs> so you know it um i enjoy it it's a new challenge uh to to learn how to not do something different but to work on something different if that makes sense. Um, these things aren't anything like the old cars, um, but you do things different and you just learn new ways.
1: And the only other thing I have for you, um, as I mentioned, you're, you're in the sport, a huge family legacy, uh, between your grandfather and your dad and yourself. Uh, I understand you got a, you got a couple of boys yourself too, um, yeah. any interest there that, that they have getting into motorsports, or have they, they picked up other sports as passions and are they going to uh, get into the family business is kind of the question we always
0: ask. I, I, uh, I know my oldest, he, he's a, uh, he's a manager, at uh, Wells Fargo. Um, his career has really taken off both of my boys, uh, growing up, um, my wife raised them. I, I wasn't around. She did an awesome job, but they play baseball. Okay. And uh, so they played travel ball, high school ball, and then they got scholarships to colleges to go play baseball. So my oldest one's out, and he's in the working world, and my youngest one's senior at Anderson and plays baseball there. And he'll probably be the one that gets in it if he wants to. He talks like he does, but I don't think he's totally sure what he wants to do.
1: Now, if he does and he comes to work at Penske, are you going to be putting that toolbox in the bathroom there too, or do they have some different <laughs> rules?
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I'll help him out as much as I can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Raymond, really, really want to thank you for coming on uh, with us for the team Blaney podcast. Uh, we've been looking forward to meeting some more of the crew members behind the scenes and, and especially the ones that were so key this weekend in this race to get the 12 car into the, into the playoffs. And um the, the story behind what happened this week and what it took and what you guys were able to do. We wanted to spot like that spot like that, is, uh, like Steve said, and um, thank you personally for everything you do and, and good luck in this playoff run for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, uh, just shout out to all my guys. Uh, they did an awesome job and we wouldn't be able to do it without them.
1: Thank you. Thanks Raymond.
0: Thank you. It's all right.
1: It's our second special guest of the night. And it's returning guest. I can't even I'll count the times how many times he's come on the podcast with us. But we have Josh Williams, the spotter for Ryan Blaney, and the number twelve Ford Mustang for Team Penske. Welcome back once again, uh, coming to chat with Steve and I and talk a little racing.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I don't, I don't know why I keep coming back, but here we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now I have to know are you are you dried off yet uh, from the 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 marathon weekend at, at Daytona?
3: My stuff's been wet for two weeks now, counting Watkins Glen and Daytona. So oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm still wringing out water from Watkins Glen, so most of my stuff's dry. But it's been an eventful couple of weeks. It'd be nice to have a dry weekend in Tarlington.
1: Yeah, it's so far the weather looks pretty good. But um, yeah, I would have to say that the the rain probably wasn't the only the only obstacle that you you guys faced this week. Uh, we covered it a little earlier in the episode, but. Uh, the 12 team, one, it was looking for a clean race, stay out of trouble, get some stage points, cruise their you know, cruise your way into the, into the, the round of 16 of the playoffs. Um, but as it goes in most of the time in racing, um, plans change <laughs> and, uh, on lap 31, the, the 12 teams involved in, a, in an accident kind of immediately right off the bat and, uh, listening to the scanner and everything that was going on in the race, um, Can you talk about uh, calling Ryan through that moment and uh, what happened in the, in the kind of the moments after that?
3: Yeah. I'd say going into the race, our plan was to get stage points early and kind of wrap it up. So then you could go race for the win. And we were in a pretty good spot to do that until lap 31. Like you said, we had got up in the, I think we were third or fourth at the time. Yep. And then I think the 43 got a little sideways and the 11 got into him. And next thing you know, we're backwards with a broken right front. And it's like, Where's the stage points at? And it was going so smooth for 30 laps. But, yeah, it took a turn quick. I mean, thought we were doing everything we needed to do and in a good spot there. But, obviously, there's no safe place at Daytona, no matter how close you are to the front, even if you're leading. So, we were doing what we needed to do in just wrong place, wrong time. And then we had to plan B, C, D it from there and work on it and do everything we could to maximize the day.
1: You, you probably had the binoculars out and kind of watching Ryan limp back to pit road, um, zooming in on the on the damage. What were your initial thoughts? Did you think you think the day was over? or Do you think uh, they were, you're going to have a shot to to get this thing back out there?
3: Um, my, my initial thoughts before seeing a replay and before seeing the car was I thought we were OK because it happened so quick. I just saw us get clipped by the 20 and I thought we just spun out left. I didn't realize when we hit the 20, it shot us into the wall first yeah. before we spun out left. So when he first spun out, I think even I said on the radio, like, I don't think it's that bad. I think we just spun. And he's like, uh, no, my wheels at 180. And I'm like, uh-oh. So then I saw a video of it. They switched on the big screen and the wheels cocked in at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, uh, this is not good. I don't know if you can fix that. So I mean, those toe links, you can fix those in a couple laps, but with everything else being broken that hard, it's it's crazy. So I think they fixed the initial. The initial damage, they fixed it enough to roll in like a lap and a half. So we only went one down to start. And then from there was everybody's all hands on deck with Raymond and Brett and everybody in there working on the car to do everything they could to get it rolling realistically. And then we honestly got pretty lucky with getting off the caution clock. So the whole stage break, we had three or four laps to work on as long as we needed to. That was honestly a, a big moment of it to get, the most damages we could fix to where at least when we go back green that we could try to keep up. And if we couldn't, we can make minimal speed without stuff falling off or having flat tires and stuff like that. So it was, uh, not ideal, but the the road crew did an amazing job of getting it to work at least roll because I would, I would say any other situation, we are probably on the truck.
1: Can you but talk getting... a little bit about, and Steve might even be asking this, talk about the clock, the, the clock right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask about the clock getting off the clock, like minimum speed. I mean, you basically ran the last lap before the caution, correct? Is that?
3: Yeah. So I think the caution clock's five minutes, I think it is. I don't know, five or six, something like that. But Jonathan has that on the pit box of how long the clock is and how much time you've used on it, which is it's yellow line to yellow line. So it's not necessarily how much time you've worked on it, it's how much time you've spent on pit road while trying to work on it. So you may only realistically get three minutes to work on it, where the other two minutes is traveling pit road there, because it's so long and how many times you have to come in and out. So we got all the damage we could to get fixed, went back out, and the end of the stage was only one lap. So we, catching up to the field, we were running wide open because we were still half a lap behind, mm-hmm. and actually ran that lap. And it ended under caution, but we ran that lap fast enough to make minimal speed, which was... We weren't sure if that was the right way or not, but it was at least run it out and see what your lap time is to hopefully it got you off of the clock. So the whole stage where you could work on it. So it was a little bit a little lucky, honestly, that we weren't caught up to the field. So we could be wide open coming to the green to start that lap, not at pace speed. So it was a little lucky with that and a little lucky that the lap did count because it was under caution when we were finishing it because <laughs> we were behind the pack. So right. that's
2: that's the part I was gonna ask about because uh you know I heard a of- uh you know different things and i don't think people realize that once the caution was thrown you were probably still in turns three and four correct
3: yeah when they threw the caution we were entering three and 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 still yeah we're entering three still wide open which the field's obviously crossing the start finish line there's nothing in front of us so i'm like just keep running wide open to see what your time is and if it counts great if it's not at least we gave it that effort. Right. We really, I honestly, I wasn't sure what the rule was on it and we crossed the line and I'm like, well, it was fast enough to, if it counted. And then they were a little quiet and hesitant about it for about 30 seconds. And then they said that we made made minimum speed. So once they said that, I was like, thank goodness. Cause now we can actually take the time to work on it. Cause the same situation, if we, that lap wouldn't have counted, we couldn't pit at all under the stage break. We couldn't even got tires or fuel or anything. And Ryan said that the left sides were flat spotted because we never changed those. So, if that we wouldn't have made minimal speed there, we could have blew out a tire or been way off sequence and it could have turned into a lot worse things from that standpoint. I mean, looking back, we were only three laps to the good of passing the people that broke at the end. So, you take away those three laps in that one situation, that was enough to pass those guys and that could have been the difference.
1: What's the rest of your day like in this situation? Obviously, it's not uh, how you want to have to spot a race, but. Um, at this point, you know, Ryan's running, you know, five or six laps, 10 laps. I I didn't count exactly. And then the field would come by. He did try to keep up with the draft a couple of times. Uh, one time I thought he had a really good shot at it and didn't really get the help he needed. Um, but is it, is it kind of just, you're kind of taking a little bit of break here until, until the pack comes by, but that's probably also a little bit hectic too. Um, as they're, you know, they're catching them going twice as fast as he is.
3: Yeah, it was. Every, like you said, every eight or 10 laps they were coming by. So it's pretty boring for about six or seven laps. And then you tell him where the pack is so he can kind of get out of the way because you don't want to cause anything dumb in that situation. So if they're single file or two wide or three wide, you kind of tell him how they're running and where they're at. So he knows which lane to go to to get out of the way. And then from then, once they start passing, you start trying to find a hole near the end of the pack to get in front of somebody so they can kind of get pushed and get caught back up. But we had so much damage we tried to make a hole a couple times to get in front of somebody, but we couldn't keep up and we'd almost hurt them. So they knew it. So they would try to get away from us and go by us too. So under restarts, we could stay with the pack for five or six laps until the handling started mattering and speeds got up, but like running that much slower, when the pack gets, gets to you, you can't tag along. So we tried to just to minimize how fast they'd come by the next time, but it's, you can't, if you didn't have damage, you can blend in and kind of get in there. But with our damage, it was really tough, and then if you're at the back of those packs anyway with, with no damage, you're probably going to lose the pack. So a lot of those guys in the back knew that, so they weren't going to cut us a break to stay behind us, so they were all trying to make a move by us because we were trying to do everything we could to stay in front of them. But from my standpoint, the next 80% of the race is pretty boring until they're lapping you and then you get cautions and try to work on it and see what kind of position you can get and then go from there.
1: There's a, a a few different times where you, you were able to hook up with the 45 car. Yeah. Did that, did that help anything at all? I mean, at least, you know, minimize, maybe you got a, a couple more laps in before being lapped again. And, um, did that at least keep you entertained for a little bit while that was going on?
3: Yeah, a little bit. Like when there's only one car out there, it's not really, you don't have to be too involved still, but when we were running with the 45, it was about a second and a half faster when we weren't with the 45, we were like seven seconds off. So wow. With him, it's like five, five and a half seconds off. So that eliminates them lapping you as quick. So you might get an extra lap out of it before they lap you. So our goal with that was if you can get with him, then it kind of helps both of you not lose it as quick, even though we were on the same lap. It kind of helps both of you not lose as quick. So you're kind of hoping you might get lucky with a caution that you don't go one extra lap down than you would have by yourself. So when it worked out a couple of times, we kind of got with him and we didn't have to lose too much time to do it. Because we were both struggling to hold onto the pack. So it, it helped it a little bit, but I don't know if the cautions ever fell that way that it mattered.
2: How, how far back were you guys when the rain caution actually hit?
3: Um, we were actually at the tail end of the pack then. So we were probably 30 car lengths off the pack. We had just lost it because they had just had a restart a few laps before that. So we were probably 30 car lengths off of it. Um,
2: just Just enough to make a reaction. Yeah. Well, to not be uh, part of it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, if you watch the replay, everybody that made it through that wreck were still in the straightaway when it rate right? because they could all stop before they got to the banking. The whole the first 15 cars that were in the banking were wrecking, but everybody that's still in the straightaway could slow down enough to miss it. So if you look at everybody that was in the top 10 after that was people running 15th to 25th. And we were behind that. So we kind of got stopped and can miss it because we didn't really have anybody behind us. So we just kind of stopped and let them all slide and end up where they were going to and then get through there. But it wasn't hard to spot through that just because we were so far back. But that was pretty crazy.
1: Now the, the weather Sunday morning, especially when we got to the track, was really nice. And obviously it progressively got worse. I think within the last 50 or so laps before the huge crash and the rain delay, you could see you know multiple storms kind of just out in the distance. And that was only what was in front of us. I you probably were able to see what was going on behind too. Um, were are you guys just anticipating like at some point something's going to happen? And before the crash, I mean, there's, there's some drivers that said, you know, Oh, I didn't see anything on my windshield. There's others that said, Oh, it's been raining for a whole lap. You had spotters saying, Hey, it's starting to sprinkle, um, from your vantage point, which, I mean, you guys are the front stretch. And this happened, you know, between turn one and two, um, did you have a pretty decent sense that something was going to happen pretty quick? And were you concerned at, you know, that what happened was going to happen?
3: Um... I wasn't concerned what happened was going to happen, but I knew it was close. Like you said, there was storms popping up everywhere and nothing was moving quick. So everything was right around us all morning. I mean, it was all around us for 30, 45 minutes before that ever happened. And you could see it all a mile off from the track. So you knew it was all close. um, So I wasn't really concerned. It was just going to downpour out of nowhere because NASCAR has people in the corners for that. So you're kind of, they normally call it in pretty well. So I wasn't concerned with that, but. It was definitely really close. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised to get a rain caution at any moment at that point. It was definitely really close, but I didn't notice it raining the whole lap before that. But when they were going through three and four, I started getting sprinkles on the spotter stand that were bigger drops.
1: Yeah,
3: And normally the bigger drops are the beginning of the downpour. So if it's coming from turn one, it's going to get to me a little bit later. So that means it was downpouring down there. But from from the spotter stand, it was big enough drops that I said something on the radio, and I was a little concerned with it from that standpoint. But I didn't know it was raining harder in turn one because obviously I'm not down there. But um, Ryan said it was raining the lap before that in one and two. And I think it's hard to explain when you're in a pack. There's so much air going by the cars that, like, cars in the middle of the pack don't get rain on their windshield. Okay. Because, like, you're going down the interstate. Like, you get wind blown off, and you don't get – rain on your windshield and these cars already have rain x all over them they're all sleeked up and waxed and rain's already running off and you're running 200 mile an hour it's not like you're running 20 so certain cars are going to see the raindrops and certain cars aren't and then same time you have to kind of be prepared to see them like if you're in there, zone in on the guy's back bumper you're not thinking about raindrops on your windshield because there's so much stuff happening to begin with so i think that's why there's a little bit of a mixed bag of some people say it was raining some people wasn't because it's probably just who was aware of the situation aware of it could be raining. Cause I mean, obviously guys up front are probably going to feel it and see it first, but it obviously was raining the way everybody in the tournament.
1: I mean, the talk all this week now, as you can imagine so far, and we're only a couple of days in has been how they determine when to throw a caution, um, you know, between fans and spotters and, and other people are, you know, totally mixed on. Well, you know, maybe they just need to start throwing cautions when rain is rain is in the area, just so we don't tear up millions of dollars worth of equipment. Um, for me, I don't have to pay that bill. So I don't care as much. I care about their safety for sure. But, you know, having been at Daytona, you know, countless times with rain in the area, as you said, you know, 50, 60 laps, there was rain all around and it never rained on the track. So I feel like we would just spend more time running around, caution lapse without it actually raining uh, if they did implement a system like that. Do you think they should look into any changes or is this, you know, this is a, it's just part of the game.
3: I think it there definitely needs to be some change because the opposite of being early about it is the situation we had Sunday and it's too late. So there needs to be some change, but at the same time, if rains a mile out for an hour and we just red flag it and they all sit there and wait for it they're going to get the same backlash from that too. So my biggest pet peeve of it is the safety, not having 20 guys go off in the corner and have no control and just wad up. So there needs to be some talk to it, but you either have to be premature with it and know it's rain close and just call it or it's too late. I and mean, it's kind of like the lightning thing. There's a reason there's a yeah. lightning hole when it's eight or 10 miles away because it's a safety factor. You can't let it get to you and it'd be too late. And I think that's kind of the same thing with the rain. Like, either have to be cautious and call it if it's a mile away or you have the situation where it's too late. And from the safety standpoint and half the field getting wrecked for just a little bit of a late call, like it needs to be something done. I believe it's the same situation we had at New Hampshire last year. There's rain close, but as soon as it gets there, it's too late.
1: So up until this point in the race, uh, we talked about all the, the plans everybody had for what was going to happen and how the team was going to get into the playoffs and everything would be fine. Pretty much everything was checked off that could have been checked off to, to go wrong. So you get torn up in an early crash. The 19 team finishes high in the first stage, the 19 team finishes high even higher in the second stage um, all the way up until the point And, and then eventually the 19 does get into a crash and get some damage. So Again, you don't want to cheer for anybody to crash, but that does help the odds a little bit more to where he wasn't able to race back up in the pack. And then you have this huge crash here. And again, you don't want to check that off as a, a good thing that happened. But without that huge crash happening um, and going back racing, which is another big factor in this whole thing, because if the race ends where it does there, you're out um, without that huge crash happening and picking up all those positions, there was pretty much going to be no chance.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Before the huge crash, I was pulling from the race because there was – the 11 was leading, the 99 was leading. It was obviously a close, and there were 25 to go or whatever. So I was fine because there was a lot of guys that already won. Yeah, so points don't look great, but there's a lot of guys up front that have already won, so it's okay. When they all wrecked, I was livid because I'm like, that was everybody that we needed to win wrecked. And then the people that were left was – literally the three car, like
0: yeah. there was nobody else that
3: mattered. The three car, the two and the 19 was, I mean, of the people that were kind of up there. Mm-hmm. So when the wreck happened, I was mad, but then after the fact, I'm like, well, that's our only hope if we go back green, because the majority of those people are out, which puts us up to I think 18th or 19th at the time and true had damage. So I didn't know how competitive he was going to be with only 10 cars out there, which kind of turned out to be the case. Like he wasn't fast enough to run. Up front, so yeah, it was a lot of emotions of uh didn't want them to wreck and then they did, and I was mad. And then once we were about to go to green, I was glad they wrecked because there was nobody left, so we could gain track position or positions on standing. So it was a lot of emotions for that.
1: And then the three still wins, (laughs) yeah. A new winner. So it's like a checking off another one of worst case scenarios happens happens again. Yeah. Yeah. How um
2: how are you tracking the um the point standings. I noticed uh, during the last couple laps, you actually were giving the actual like, w- you know, you were this to the good or that to the bad going into the last couple laps. Does NASCAR have like a special thing that you're you're able to log into, or were you doing the math? Or
3: I'm really good at math, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm lying. <laughs> no, we we have a uh, part of one of my apps for like the standings. Us has a has a live points update. So it's a, it's honestly about 10-second delayed because it has to calculate itself. So right. pretty much every time in one and two, the last seven or eight laps, when those people started falling out, I was trying to give a points update. Just Not that we were changing our position that much, but right. the 19 was. So just Ryan had an idea of what was happening up front of him and stuff like that. Because I think when we first restarted with 18 or something ago, we were down like three. Mm-hmm. And then we called a couple of people that had pulled off, and then like two or three more people had problems with like ten to go. So it changed quick from like fifteen to go to ten to go. And then the last five or six laps was pretty much just up to where Truex was running, which he had lost the lead pack of the top four cars, so he couldn't really finish better than that unless they wrecked. So I'm up there like screaming at Austin Spire, like don't wreck for the win, like don't just finish, don't yeah. wreck, which he almost wrecked because the yeah. three not yep. turning. But I'm up there, like, screaming at him, like, don't wreck. And then they all about wrecked. And then they're, like, catching up. And I'm like, don't let him pass you. Like, <laughs> keep him back there. So we're all up there working together, trying to figure out where we're at. But my my biggest fear the last few laps was somebody wrecking for the win, which turned out to be the three and eight and 62, which are all pretty much – I mean, teammates and then a team car. So they were all pretty loyal to helping the three at that point. But I was still worried about that next group from fourth to – Eighth or ninth catching them if they wrecked because the way it turned out Truex was three wide at the line which was yep. two spots one more spot would have been a tie I think so it was kind of close there if any of them wrecked so that was my biggest fear I knew we we're okay in points but if one of them wrecked that was going to change quick so I was holding my breath the last few laps
1: the one thing I appreciated in that and I mentioned this to Steve was that the the 22 car was back there in that second pack and I could see him dodging around it looked like the 19 was trying to get some runs off of him and and Joey was being a pretty good teammate in in pushing you know the Rick Ware cars or whoever else he could instead of the 19 and I know Truex did end up getting three wide at the end and he did get past Joey but um, I was really appreciative of what the 22 was doing if whether it was on purpose or not at least appeared to be like he was helping out back there trying not to give him any unnecessary runs that would help him.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't know, but it was there was a lot of Fords there. And I think they were all pretty aware of the situation with, you know, Reagan and the 15 and the 51 was up there, and Joey and Austin. They were all aware of the situation of how close points were. So I think they were all really trying to get everything they could because of track position mattering and just kind of knowing he was damaged that he wasn't gonna be able to pass on his own. So just trying to keep everything they could. So it all it all worked out even, even though it didn't look good for six hours. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that had to have been a struggle. Did, immediate thoughts after the, the checkers actually finally flew. I, did you have a little bit less anxiety? Did you have to keep refreshing just to make sure that the, the point standings were real?
3: Yeah, yeah. So The last three or four laps before it was over, I'm like, oh, we're, we're good. I got it. my apps working and all this stuff. And then we crossed the line. I'm like, I need Jonathan or somebody to say that. I don't want to be wrong. Yeah. I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> so I was like, you tell him. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I was definitely relieved. Just knowing how fast we've been all year, like we deserve a spot in the playoffs, I think. And you got I mean win and you're in and all that, but I feel like we've had a pretty solid year. We just haven't had a win. So I feel like we deserved a spot. And then going out like that at Daytona being a wild card and getting caught up early and everything that happened, it would have been it would have been a pretty big letdown to not make it after yeah. all that. So definitely a little bit relieved, but also it's where we should be too. So looking forward to the next 10.
1: Yeah. And thank you to uh, Kurt Busch and 2311 for whatever made the decision to, uh, to pull that waiver, because that's, that's a huge reason as to why you guys were able to get this opportunity. And uh, we were talking to Raymond earlier about the fact that um, the talk, the even like two, three weeks leading into this race was how big of a travesty it would be if, you know, the guy running second in points who at one point was, you know, just a few shy of the regular season championship, but had a, a couple bad weeks, you know, could potentially not make the the playoffs. And honestly, you're sitting there with Truex who I think finished fourth in the, in the final standings and yeah. he's out too. So, I mean, you feel bad for him, but, um, but it they, you guys all know what you signed up for going into it. Maybe people can like the system or not like the system, but everyone's playing by the same rules. So congratulations on getting in for sure. Um But now that's, this is kind of, this is just the beginning (laughs) at this point. You have three uh, races coming up here at three very different racetracks and you're heading to Darlington this week, which between tire wear and green flag pitting and uh, potentially the longest race of the season time-wise just because of all those factors and it's going to be hot too. (laughs) So uh, what are your thoughts heading into this weekend in the first round and the goals you guys, you guys kind of have?
3: um first off it's going to be long and it's going to be hot and i'm going to be standing on a roof so that all sounds terrible but the racing aspect will be great um i almost feel like we already kind of had our first round of the playoffs trying to get in the playoffs so it's Mm -hmm. kind of you've been trying to maximize the last three weeks anyway so it's almost kind of the same mentality of you're already kind of locked in and just keep doing it um first three races i feel like are are good ones for us i mean the first First Darlington this year was probably one of our better Darlingtons, and I think we got back up to sixth or seventh before they wrecked for lead, and we got caught up in that, but we had we had issues before that and drove through the field, I think, twice, so we had good speed, and Joey obviously won, so I feel like going back there would be pretty competitive. I think it's going to be a good race and a good Darlington for us, and then kind of the same thing with Kansas. First time this year, I think we were running seventh or eighth and got the wall with 10 to go or something like that and ended up finishing 12th or 13th, something like that, but I felt like we had pretty good speed there. So I think both of those are going to be good judging off the first races. And then we haven't been to Bristol yet with this car, but no. Bristol is normally one of our better tracks. So I'm feeling pretty confident about that one. You, just, you avoid the big mistakes and maximize your days and stage points. And it should be a pretty solid round, I think, for us to move on.
1: Yeah, I think we know what to expect at Darlington, uh, even though they've learned a little, a lot about this car since they've been there in May. Um, what no to expect at, at Kansas, the racing on the mile and a half tracks like that has been great this year, including that race specifically. Um, now when we talk about short track racing, which, you know, should be the bread and butter of the series and what everybody, you know, looks forward to. Uh, but the races so far this year have been a little bit lackluster on the short tracks, just excitement wise from the fan perspective, but we're going to a place like Bristol. That's different, you know, than Martinsville way different than Richmond, um, you know, Real short track, high banking. Do you think that there's potential here for the series to put on a good show? Or do you think you're still going st- to struggle with like aerodynamics and passing that they've had so far at the other tracks?
3: Uh, I think it'll be good. Um, my biggest worries with going into Bristol is just the load and drivability of the car with the new car and steering and all that kind of stuff. Like we've made big gains, but we haven't been anywhere as crazy as Bristol with loads and being around each other. So that's probably the biggest unknown, I would say. Um, but racing standpoint, I think it's going to be pretty good. I think if you look at Martinsville and like somewhere like that, that's narrow. It's a little bit harder. And that's probably why the racing has been a little lackluster at those places compared to what people want it to be. But I look at Richmond a few weeks ago when the track was really wide. I thought it was actually a decent race. Um, you could run multiple grooves and actually make some passes. So I look at Bristol a little bit like that where it's normally fairly wide. I mean, it typically turns into kind of being top dominant, but you can run, you can run the bottom, run side by side. So, I think it's a little bit better there for being able to to race. So, I think just get through the steering issue, like not steering issues, but just get through the feeling of the steering and the loads and stuff like that in a new car there in practice and kind of get used to that. And I think the rates will actually be pretty good.
2: You think they'll be shifting? Oh, that was oh, going to be my question.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I'm totally not in the know, but yeah. I don't think so. I wouldn't be surprised if you're not in just fourth gear all day. You're not even in fifth. So I don't, I don't see shifting there. Just it's so quick to do that. Like you don't ever really stop. Like you don't have a, you don't have a big discrepancy in slowing down. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. It's like lift, lift and go. Right. I mean, lift and get back on it. And
3: yeah, you you think of Bristol as being somewhere you're using a ton of brake, but realistically you're not just because there's so much banking there. It kind of slows down for you. So you don't, Slow it down as much as you would, like a Richmond, where you're on the brakes really hard and park in the center, like a Martinsville. So, I don't think they'll shift, but I've been wrong a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was going to ask that question because I don't think we've talked to you because now you are an accomplished short track driver yourself oh after right. finishing uh, top ten in that uh, the modified race. And I did wonder what your your even not necessarily even at Bristol. What are your thoughts on? on these guys having to shift at short tracks in general this year, because me, I've never driven a race car outside of iRacing and I don't know that much about the mechanics and everything about the car, but it's frustrating to me knowing that they're spending so much time at a place like Martinsville shifting and kind of basically cheating off the corner because, you know, they can miss a corner and shift and still get off pretty good. What are your thoughts overall on, on the fact that the, the gear has them set up to be able to shift in the first place?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, if you could find the right gearing where it's less so you don't have to shift as much, it'll make it better. Cause there's no, there's no penalty right now for missing the corner yeah. or even missing the exit. Cause you can grab a gear and, and maintain for the next straightaway. And there's just so much happening. I mean, Martinsville, they're literally downshifting right in the middle of the brake zone and turning in. So it's so much happening with the car. I was, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it, but I don't know how you fix it either. Not with five gears. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I think it takes some of the finesse away of the guys that can take care of their tires and have drive off and stuff like that. Because now with, with shifting, you can in a roundabout way, overdrive the corner miss it, stop, park, grab a gear and get off the corner and maintain it to the guy that's getting in like you should and wrapping the corner and trying to have some drive off and stuff like that. So you see, it's like Richmond or some fall off. It wasn't, that big a deal you can still pass, but you get somewhere like Martinsville that it's fall off, but it's one lane and stuff like that. It's a little bit harder, and I think that's some of the lackluster that people want to see. That and the cars are so rigid that when you hit them, it just kind of bounces them off of you. It's hard to yeah. actually move a guy up the track.
1: Now we're a year into, uh, or not a year in yet, but we're uh, majority way through this year where they've brought back practice and qualifying after kind of a two-year break from that but it's you know essentially barely any practice and uh still two rounds of qualifying um do you have any updated thoughts on whether you'd like to see it go back to the way it was kind of during the pandemic or whether you'd like to go the other direction where you have a little bit more time to work on the car or does that not really matter anymore because it can't really change much uh, at the track in the first place
3: yeah i don't i don't think it changes much if you had more just because there's not so much you can do. And honestly, most of the time now you kind of get you get one adjustment at it anyway, and it is what it is, because you're only getting one set of tires. So if they made practice an hour long, you're still in the same set. I mean, we go to some places like Richmond and you go just straight out and run 30, 40 laps, and that's it. So you're not gonna go to somewhere with tire fall off and run 15 or 20 laps and come make an adjustment and go make another 20. So having extra time wouldn't make a difference. So we we almost treat it kind of like a f- first like a, like a pre-stage of a race where you yeah. kind of get your first run of the race in a practice and then you make an adjustment from there for what you need so sometimes you're sometimes you're pretty close and you run it out and just kind of treat it like a whole run of a race or sometimes you're not you kind of make an early stop and make a big adjustment so I like kind of where it's at now you know you get 20 20 minutes I guess most places to to really get one run you can come in and make an adjustment go back out for a few laps if you need but just really as a shakedown more than anything, just so you don't get caught off guard first lap of the race of having something majorly wrong. At least you kind of get a shakedown of it. And then you get qualifying too, because qualifying adjustments aren't that big anymore either. I mean, pretty much is air pressure. So it's not that big of a adjustment to, you get a couple laps in qualifying to kind of see where your car is too, compared to the practice the adjustments you made. So I kind of like where it's at,
1: but you have to miss the schedule because I was thinking about this over the weekend. Um, feeling bad for you guys, which I'm sure that goes a long way. Sure. Uh, but the Same fact that harder. the fact that I'm like, man, these guys were probably really banking on having Sunday off, and here we are. It rains, and they you ha- only have one off weekend in this entire year. And like, here's their opportunity to have a Sunday off, and here we are, back at Daytona again for one more day. Um, yeah. So that's why I thought maybe in that, in the practice and qualifying dis- discussion, you might miss the whole just loading up on on a Sunday and getting, getting ready to go instead of having, in some cases you guys have had to be there on Friday uh, yeah. this year, which has been a, kind of crazy in my opinion, but um, yeah. I bet you missed that schedule a little bit and doesn't sound like next year. They're going to give you a break either. So.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like right now, typically we go Friday. If it's a Sunday race, typically we go Friday and then the garage opens up early Saturday for inspection and then and qualifying, but we're done at lunch. and we're done at one o'clock normally. So you kind of get that day off. And then Sunday, the way the garage times are now, you go in at lunchtime, and then you race after lunch. Like you're not in there at eight in the morning, seven in the morning, like you used to. So, yeah, you're there for whatever forty eight hours, but half of that is kind of spread out.
1: A little bit better, but still not great.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Three years ago, you go in at you go in Thursday, and you're Thursday. there Friday from nine to eight, and Saturday from nine to five, and then Sunday from nine to five. So. It's better. Uh, It's not what it was two years ago when you'd fly in a race day only and race and leave, which is what I was supposed to be doing in Daytona this week, and I got stuck till Sunday. So here we are.
1: So I think Ryan's at this point in his career where. Uh, especially once he got over these, these hurdles at Richmond uh, to where he can pretty much contend for a win on any track still hasn't won a short track race yet, but he's won on pretty much every other configuration. So fingers crossed for Bristol, but is there anywhere uh, through the rest of the playoffs or through the rest of the year where you guys might have circled on the calendar uh, somewhere where you really think you can pick up that first win of the season?
3: It's hard to say. I feel like I feel like with the new car, you can kind of be good at somewhere. Then you go back and you're not. And to be fair, it's kind of how it was that Indy road course versus Watkins Glen, we were yeah, right, really good at Indy and we're like, Oh, well, should be pretty good at Watkins Glen. And you take something similar and then just kind of a struggle all day. So it's kind of hard to say that. Um, I agree with you. Like I feel like pretty much anywhere we go that we're not going to struggle just because we don't know the place. I feel like we're really strong everywhere we go. So from that standpoint, I don't see anywhere in the playoffs that we can't go and compete at versus, I mean, for what was in the playoffs a couple years ago when we were struggling at Richmond and places like that, you kind of, or in Darlington even for that standpoint, you kind of go there like you just need to maximize our day, whatever it is. But now I feel like all 10 tracks you can legitimately win at with this car and just keep yourself near the front. It's all you really got to do.
1: Now, I know when you hopped on here with us initially, we heard your your clock chiming. So I do know you would like a second clock uh, from a cup series win too, to go along with your truck win.
3: I want all the clocks, second, <laughs> third, fifth, 10th. I don't care. I want them all. And I would love to have a cup or a cup clock here. So my girlfriend's not a big fan of it. Chiming every 15 minutes, but she'll get used to it.
1: <laughs> and yeah, so speaking of her, I think that's a, a good uh, way maybe to end this. Um, Brittany, she was on with us before, kind of talking about when we were trying to get her, trying our best to get her into that SRX race, which she was so so close and still uh, <laughs> kind of sad about that. Um, but she's kind of, uh, she's been going along with her season, uh, running her pro late model. Uh, can you talk a little bit of an update on what she's doing there and, um, where people can catch her racing the rest of this uh, season?
3: Yeah, for sure. She's been running at Montgomery speedway down in Alabama. Uh, it's called the show me the money series. So I think it's six events total. They have their fifth event this weekend, Saturday night. And it only starts at like seven o'clock. Um, She's starting points, so she's been having a solid year, hoping to get her first win and close in on that points lead a little bit and having a shot for the final race. But she's improved every week down there and finished third last time they were there. So she's had solid races, solid runs. So just keep plugging along at it and making the car a little better and just learning the tracks. So this year's the first time she's ever been there. So being from the West Coast, coming to East Coast, Southeast Coast, South yeah. Race tracks is a lot a lot difficult for her because all those people she's racing against, they'll run. 30, 40 times a year, and they've raced on that racetrack for six or seven years, and she's been there for five days total now, I think, with practices and qualifiers and races, so definitely a little behind the ball to get started, but really proud of her for how her how her year's been and being third in points with a, with a chance at it, and that's pretty something to be proud of for her, for sure. I know she wants to do a little more, but she's been right there a lot of the races, just just barely off of, like, the guys that win or the guys finish the second, so she can do it. It'll be a, be fun to watch. It normally is on Race in America. That's what it's on. Yeah, Race in America. I think so. Yeah. Yep. So it'll be on that Saturday night. So will be at Montgomery. So tune in. She'll be in the, the Rackley 25 car.
1: Yeah. So look for her. If you want to look her up on Twitter, look for Brittany Zamora. Uh, I know this week she had some t shirts out there that I think were selling pretty fast. So I'm uh, not even sure if those will be available, but anything you can do to support her. Um, yeah, buy
3: all the t shirts for sure.
1: All right, Josh, I, th- I think that pretty much uh, wraps up our time with you. We thank you every time for taking the time to come and talk to us. Uh, we know you have a busy schedule. You have a lot going on. Um, but wanted to uh, congratulate you and the 12 team on making the playoffs and definitely wish you luck uh, this week at Darlington and beyond all the way until the championship four race at
3: Phoenix. Yeah, thanks for all the uh, appearance fees you give me for showing up all the time. So <laughs> that goes a long ways. And X uh, <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I look forward to Darlington. It should be fun, and hopefully, the next ten weeks go good, and we can be there at Phoenix.
1: Now, Steve, I always love it when we're able to bring Josh Williams onto the program. He just gives you that insight uh, that you don't always get from, you know, the driver perspective or the crew chief perspective or from our fans perspective. You know, he's kind of the the eyes in the sky, uh, for Ryan and everything that's going on. And he can just kind of give you some, some stuff that you might not notice. And it's really, really cool to hear him break down, uh, the season overall, what's coming up next and especially what happened at Daytona and kind of what role he played in, uh, the rest of that race. You
2: know, he's, he's not just a spotter though, too. He's a, he's a driver. And you can tell that by when you are listening to him spot, um, some of the different things that he'll give information wise, uh, to Ryan, on what other guys are doing and how they're doing it and what kind of help it may give to Ryan if he can run certain lines and stuff. So this weekend coming up, Darlington will be big for that, uh, that input, uh, uh on how guys are running, especially in turns three and four and, uh, how Ryan can navigate around all of those guys.
1: Sure, let's talk about that race. The first race of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, the Cookout Southern 500, one of the NASCAR Cup Series crown jewel events. This Sunday, September 4th at Darlington Raceway, you can catch the race at 6 p.m. Eastern time on the USA Network and on the radio with MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Uh, practice and qualifying is actually going to happen on Saturday ahead of the Xfinity Series race at from noon uh, to 12.50 p.m. and then qualifying from 12.50 to 2 p.m., uh, two rounds, uh, one lap, and uh, hoping that the 12 car can put themselves up front for this one. Um, taking a look at Ryan's stats at Darlington over the years, he does have one pole at that track that, that might have been set by the Matrix uh, last year. I can't remember exactly how that worked, uh, but he did start first and finish 22nd. Started seventh earlier this year in the May race, uh, finished 17th after getting caught up in a little bit of an accident uh, there toward the end of that race. Uh, overall, he has 11 starts at Darlington, only one top 10, an average finish of 19.1, average start of 10th. So, uh, statistically, not one of Ryan's better racetracks. Uh, but this year has been so different. And like I said, he did have a strong run going earlier this season. They had some pit issues at one point, and then obviously they they had the they had the accident that kind of. Uh, threw off their day. So I'm hoping that they can turn things around clean slate. As I said, a few minutes ago, um, and start the playoffs strong, even with a solid run, they don't necessarily need to go out and win though. We would love that to, for them to pick up uh, their first win of the season, get Ryan, a crown jewel win. Uh, but we're really looking for a solid run that will put them in a good position going into Kansas and then going into Bristol.
2: Yeah. These next couple of weeks are just, you know, point-wise it just, you know, get some stage points, and see how good you can run and like like you said this this is the the round that should be the easy round of the bunch um set yourself up for the future rounds so if you get a stage win or two that's great because that'll give you a couple extra bonus points to use in the future rounds and uh you know want to get that win but you know what the next round or two that win would be
1: even better So, again, if you want to tune in this week, the Cookout Southern 500 for the NASCAR Cup Series, Sunday, September 4th, Darlington Raceway, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on USA and on radio with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. All right, Steve, next up we have... uh, something important to hand out. I don't think there's going to be a real trophy for this one, but who knows there does come with some bragging rights and we do have to crown a regular season champion in the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy live league. And before we reveal that let's reveal what our rosters were headed into the Coke zero sugar 400 at Daytona uh, going into this race, my starting lineup. I had Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, Eric Almorola. Bubba Wallace and Chase Elliott in the garage. Um, I thought this was going to be a really solid lineup. Um, I did get some two, uh, some big points out of Joey Logano, pretty decent points out of Bubba Wallace. Uh, Ryan, unfortunately, you know, considering the position he was in, he actually did get me 22 points, which I thought it would be way less than that. Uh, Hamlin didn't really get me that many points. And luckily I left. Um, I think if I would have brought chase out of the garage, I maybe could have replaced Almarola, but that would only have gotten me one more point. Um, struggled in the feature matchups a little bit. I picked, uh, did pick Kyle Bush over Larson that worked out for me. I picked Ryan over Truex and that didn't work out exactly. Uh, though it worked out in the end. I picked Almarola over Eric Jones. That didn't work out. And I picked Bubba Wallace over Busher. So I did get two of the four right there. Um, but it wasn't, uh it wasn't the best, but I know overall when we go over that I actually didn't do too bad this week. Uh, what was your lineup looking at, looking like? And I think it must've been very, really similar to mine because we finished mm. pretty close in the standings for the week.
2: Yeah. I had Logano, Tyler, uh, Tyler Reddick, uh, Bowman, and Cindric, who are pretty decent uh, had Byron. Unfortunately he was in the crash and um, I had Suarez. So, the thing about the one crash there, it, it it was in third stage. So there was no swapping anybody out at that point. Um, and I only had one of the, of the, uh, four, uh, correct in, in the picks I had uh, Bubba over Chris. So not a huge points day. Um, but then again, everybody's points days were kind of messed up with that finish. <laughs> and no, <laughs> I mean, unless you, unless you had the 15 and the 51 and the 78 in, in your lineup, uh,
1: did you see some of those posts that people did from their, their gambling slips? Uh, one guy, 70 grand, one guy, nearly a million dollars by yeah. uh, a three-way parlay. And, a, and I think a four, four,
2: four-way parlay. Yeah. And, a four-way parlay and yeah, it was a $13.50 bet. Yeah. Won almost one, almost a million dollars. Those four guys had to finish in the top 10. And when you look at who they were, yep, they weren't guys you were going to think were going to finish in the top 10, but, but worth
1: not- a $13 bet for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't gamble, bucks. but man, that makes me <laughs> think about putting yeah. a couple bucks down here and there. Um, yeah, but sure. you're you sounded a little down on your lineup, but you end up 15th in the running order and points yeah. earned. I was 14th, uh, so we were just one position away from each other. Let's take a look at the top 10 in points earned in the regular season finale at the Coke Zero 400 at Daytona. In 10th, Blaney or Bust. I think that's a new name. 160 points. Ninth, the Prime Minister. Three. 161. Bry 12, Vincent 12, and Jordan Daniels. Jordan Daniels is one of our uh, active uh, Discord members. 162 points for each of them. Fifth, Matt O 167. Fourth, ba- barely driving 174. In third, the Buckeye Bullet 176. In second, JD Racing 178. And the winner from this past week at Daytona in the Team Blaine NASCAR Fantasy Live League is Rogue Tough 193 points now let's take a look at the overall standings and this is where we'll crown our regular season champion for the team blaney nascar fantasy live league in the 10th position two bushes no johnson's 4,751 points in ninth eric d15 4,757 in eighth the dalai lama 4 4,763 in sixth, rogue tough 4,781 fifth moose hunter 1960 4,787 Fourth, JD Racing, 4,798. Third, Frygal 12, 4,853. Second, the defending champion from last season, Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing, who has been making his way back up the standings the last few weeks, 4,870 points, and the winner of the overall standings in the regular season for our league, Math Mom 4 who has been kicking our tails all season long. 4,896 points. Congratulations to MathMom4. If you're out there and you listen to the podcast or if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, uh, send us a message uh, just to let you, to let us know that you're out there, you're listening. Um, we'd like to maybe send you something that recognizes the fact that you were a regular season champion. And I would not be shocked if MathMom4 goes out there and wins the whole dang thing uh, in the playoffs. So uh, congratulations to everybody that finished in the top 10. Uh, Steve, you finished off the regular season in the 21st position all to yourself, 4,602 points. And um, in one of my better years, I'm in the 27th position, 4,463 points. So not too shabby for me. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that effort. And uh, now this is where I really turn things on because in in the past couple of years, I've done really well in the playoffs or just in general, when I've done, uh, NASCAR fantasy league. So looking forward to the playoffs, looking forward to everybody being reset. Uh, so if you had used Ryan up, uh, you are free to start using Ryan again. And any of those other drivers that are going to look at having some solid finishes uh, the rest way, rest of the way through this year.
2: Yeah. You get five usages now of everybody, which in 10 weeks is more than enough uh, to use all the good guys. Uh, the only thing now in the next 10 weeks is you might want to be careful of using a guy um, too early. In other words, like some of the guys at the top of the board, like Chase Elliott or, um, or Larson, you might want to wait a couple of weeks, um, until the races become more important to them. Uh, no offense, but, uh, pretty much the nine car can make it to the right round of 16, as long as he doesn't wreck three races in a row, you know? So, um, but later on, uh, there are certain guys who will be out of that top eight or whatever, and won't be racing as hard because they're not in it in it anymore and you know those are the kind of guys you want to hope to save a couple starts uh and use them then because it's really weird but the guys in the top uh you know when i get to that round of eight the guys that are in that top eight um those three races they run one through eighth it Yep. Seems, it's crazy seems, how it seems works. like you know maybe one or two of are out just outside the top 10 but then you get back in the top 10 so You know, those are the kind of things you you know you want to pay attention to as uh, the first and second round of the
1: playoffs goes. So, Steve, one last thing to bring up, and that's uh, outside of the fact that we are going to be at Darlington for the Southern Five Hundred up there in Northeast Ohio. We have the long awaited return of the Sharon nationals at Sharon speedway. If you are a native of Northeast Ohio or a big fan of sprint cars, you remember this was such a huge event uh, in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. It's kind of, it kind of fell off the schedule mid two thousands. Well, mid 2010s, I should say. <laughs> um, but it is back on the schedule of the Sharon nationals this weekend. Uh, it's going to feature two nights of racing Friday night uh, with the all-star circuit of champions, uh, and some other series. And then the big night Saturday night. Uh, the one thing that, you know, we've had circled on our schedule and a lot of Blaney fans do as well uh, will be the Lou Blaney Memorial. So it will be the second night of racing, the all-star circuit of champions, 12,000 to win for that. And the BRP modified tour will also be on hand uh but the big thing that also is going on that night is they are trying to do what's called a lou shirt out that's going to take place on saturday as part of the lou blaney memorial where every person that wears a lou blaney shirt will receive five free tickets to be entered into a raffle uh, for a drawing for a 200 dollars cash prize uh, presented or sponsored by carpenters towing and colonial metal products um, So if you wear the shirts already that you have on, you're going to be able to enter into this drawing. They're also going to have Lou Blaney Memorial shirts on sale on September 2nd uh, for $25, starting on September 2nd. So that'll be on Friday. So September 2nd and 3rd, you're going to want to be at Sharon Speedway if you're up there in that area. If you're not traveling down to the NASCAR race at Darlington uh, for the Sharon Nationals in the Lou Blaney Memorial, we'd love to see your photos uh, wearing your Lou shirts that you have out there. I know I have some Lou shirts that are still from back when he was racing. And I also have a couple of Lou Blaney Memorial shirts. Uh, so we'd love to see that. So if you can tag us on Twitter or on Facebook at Team Blaney, um, we'll mm-hmm. gladly share everything that we have on that. Uh, a couple other things that are going on uh, at the racetrack itself, the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation is going to have their tent that they've had at a couple NASCAR races this season on the grounds at Sharon Speedway. Uh, So you can learn more about their efforts uh, to help support the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC sports medicine. They have some uh, Ryan gear. They have some foundation gear. They have lots of other unique gifts. Uh, that are centered on like Alzheimer's Association and other of their and some of their other things that they benefit. So the foundation will be out there. They're going to have a cornhole tournament that I believe is already full. Uh, that's going to benefit the foundation. And one other thing, and they, they kind of did the, a very similar thing to this when they held the golf outing early, earlier this year. But in this case, they're going to be uh, selling purple ribbons that can be on display at the Lou Blaney Memorial. You can get these in person for a minimum donation of $20. Uh, and you can honor someone that you know that's you know dealing with Alzheimer's or has battled Alzheimer's in their life. Anybody you'd like to pick. Uh, but with a donation of $50 or more, you're going to get that ribbon signed by Dave Dale and Ryan Blaney, and it's going to be returned to you as a keepsake after the race. So um, we talked about the, the, like the the wall of fame earlier in the year when they did the the golf outing. Uh, So this is very similar to that, but this will be a purple ribbon. And uh, it's an awesome way one to support the foundation and a way to get a really cool souvenir that's autographed by three members of the Blaney family. And, um, you don't have to be in attendance to do this. So if you check out the Ryan Blaney family foundations, Twitter and Facebook and website, uh, there's a link on there to where you can find out the details on how to sign up for this and, uh, donate to the foundation and get something back in return. That will be an awesome keepsake.
2: Yeah. We, um, at Indianapolis, they had these at their, at their uh, display there. And, uh, actually, uh, Jerry and Kirsten, um, our friends, the Mariottis had, uh, did the the, the proper donation and um, they got it back in the mail autographed by ryan at that point Uh, so this is really cool if it's going to be autographed by uh all three guys uh dave and uh, dale also that'd be great uh so yeah check that out check out the link on that and uh, get in on it
1: so once again i want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of the team blaney podcast if you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host steve Please listen to our very first episode that dives deep into our Blaney fandom. You can interact with us on Facebook and Twitter at Team Blaney and on Instagram at team.blaney. And finally, we want to encourage you to support the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation, this organization championed by Ryan and his family supports causes like the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. Find out more about the foundation online at ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org or on any of their active social media channels. So for my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney Podcast.
2: Good night, Brussels. Good night, Dublin.